0: Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Late Night Linux Extra, I'm Joe, and this time we've got a chat about Fuchsia, Google's mysterious and upcoming mobile OS, maybe it's not just a mobile OS. I saw Neil Gomper tweet about this, and so I asked him if he wanted to have a chat about it. Neil, of course, has been on the show before talking to Jim Salter about ButterFS and ZFS, and I also asked Adam to come back, he was defending GNOME on the last episode, and I thought it would be nice to uh, have him back on. Before we get to that, the customary thank you to everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate it. You really do make all of this possible. latenightlinux.com support to learn more about that. And of course, show at latenightlinux.com if you want to get in touch. So let's get straight on with it then. Welcome back, Adam. Thanks for having me back. And thanks for joining us again, Neil. Yeah, thank you for having me again. So I wanted to talk to you two about Fuchsia. This, of course, is Google's upcoming mobile OS that is somewhat open source, but Google are quite tight-lipped about it. That's where I wanted to start. Why are they so tight-lipped? Normally, I would try and find someone who works on the project to talk to, but none of the future people seemingly want to talk publicly about it. Why?
1: It's actually not hard to figure out why this is the case. It's because... Fuchsia is in the early developmental stage for device bring-up. And so a big part of what goes on there is, you know, Google's working with partners to do hardware enablement, to do platform enablement, to build the user experiences and all those things. And like any other company that builds a platform, they keep things close to the vest for competitive purposes and try to get everything front-loaded as much as possible before they're ready to announce something meaningful. That being said, Fuchsia is an open-source project, and so you can kind of see the progress when you go look at the code, but it doesn't give you much of a picture because Fuchsia differs from Linux in that there is no requirement for all the discussions to be public and for everything to be out there for people to see, and because Fuchsia, the Zircon kernel, does not require the drivers to be part of the kernel, and it has a stabilized kernel ABI, it can all be built out of tree, just like it does on Windows, just like it does on macOS for conventional PCs.
2: So is it because they don't want to talk about it publicly? They don't want to make any wild promises? They don't want to um, say, yes, it's going to be shipping on everything that's a Chromebook in two years time? Or are they deliberately being coy about it because they don't want to back themselves into a corner have they not decided yet is it is it just the case that well it might not go anywhere in 2 years they might have it on the uh, the nest nest hub i think it is the only thing that's running it right now and then that'll be it forever
1: all of the above a big part of this is that so far google has only publicly committed to the nest devices moving to this right like you've got the hub and i think they're working on i think someone mentioned somewhere that the the google home assistant might be moving to it soon or something like that but they're trying to be very careful about what they say here because anything that they say here will cause a problem with their partners, especially the ones that they haven't announced. When commercial platforms are being developed, there's typically non disclosure agreements in place, and those non disclosure agreements tend to be very far reaching. And so it is extremely difficult for companies and employees working on the project to talk about anything while that is in force?
2: I think it was uh, Peter, I'm not sure how to say his name, Hosek, one of the developers, did a talk that I, I did catch a few minutes of at um, the LLVM conference, and he was still very adamant that it was going to be on like a lot of modern devices. Even the documentation talks about tablets and computers and um, small devices like the, the Nest, so I don't think they're necessarily keeping that close to the chest. Although I can appreciate that if it's a particular partner, like a big mobile phone producer, then yeah, maybe they don't want to announce something prematurely that they want to maybe make a big fanfare about later on. So I I understand from that point of view, it ties into a lot of the the, uh, secrecy element of Fuchsia and Zircon that I am not a massive fan of, but a lot of that revolves around the fact that it's a big company doing it. Google, but the same would be true of any big company that's controlling something in its entirety
0: yeah so let's face it they're definitely coming for android though right
1: i don't know it's actually not certain that they are because replacing android means replacing the ecosystem effect of linux it's not android if it's not linux-based like contrary to a lot of people's belief there's a lot of Android applications that rely implicitly rely on the fact that underneath the Android runtime Dalvik as it used to be called is a Linux user space and a Linux kernel space. And those semantics are not easy to perfectly copy over to another operating system. Microsoft learned this the hard way when they did WSL1 where they were attempting to replicate the Linux kernel syscall interface and the user space interfaces on top of Windows NT, and they failed. In some respects, they succeeded in others, but like it wasn't complete enough to be successful. And they switched to virtualizing the Linux kernel instead. With Zircon, they don't even have POSIXly support, like full POSIX compatibility, as a goal. They just have just enough POSIX for some basic stuff, but like they are not intending to implement a system that is capable of full POSIX simulation. And that makes things more complicated.
2: I think Fuchsia is the OS they wish they had when they launched Android in the first place. Oh, for sure. One of the big complaints that I heard, not just from people that I worked with, but generally people who used Android, was the fragmentation problem. Now, they've made efforts to try and resolve that more recently, but Fuchsia's, it's got three core targets for Fuchsia, which is security, updatability, and performance. Now, it strikes me that all three of those are, are perfect for the IoT market, just anything that's permanently connected, where Android isn't necessarily that or wasn't necessarily that at its inception.
1: Sure, but let's zero in on one of those points, upgradeability. because that's what you, you mentioned, like the fragmentation of Android. The fragmentation of Android mostly comes down to two big problems. The first was, in order for Google to get the OEMs bought onto Android, they had to promise that they would be allowed to do what they wanted in in the Android kernel space and user space initially. If you look at the, um, what was it called? The Open Handset Alliance, I think is what it was originally called. That was actually the body that controls Android. And that allowed OEMs originally to do all kinds of things to make the platform custom to them. And that's what got them bought on, because the OEMs didn't want to do Android if they couldn't put a unique spin on it. Because they wanted to stand out, differentiate, and blah, 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 blah. But because of the way uh, mobile phone makers have come, you know, historically, culturally, nobody ever designs these things for being updated. And so you'd get ancient kernel versions, you get custom drivers that are poorly designed, so on and so on and so on. There's no reason to believe that that will change with Fuchsia at all. Because that the problem isn't technical, it's cultural. That being said... The most important issue for Android fragmentation today is Qualcomm. Qualcomm is the most popular supplier of SOCs and modems for uh, mobile devices today. And they have a strict, I think it's a one and a half year support lifecycle for their hardware designs. And this is actually what kneecaps Android makers, because unlike in the Apple iOS side, where Apple controls the hardware and the software and life life cycles them together, Android ODMs and OEMs are are beholden to their suppliers for hardware enablement. And the thing that they're promising with Zircon and Fuchsia basically is that the stabilized kernel ABI allows them to keep moving things forward without having to get the drivers fixed. I don't know whether that will work out in practice because Zircon is very young and we don't know how things are going to work out. Like Windows NT even has this principle and like, It's been broken a few times, like you've had to adjust your drivers for newer versions of Windows over time. It happens even with a stable kernel ABI and backwards compatibility out of the wazoo. It's really, really hard to keep driver interfaces stable, but it is a goal of Zircon. And I think that's pretty much driven by Qualcomm being a bad actor in this this space.
0: All right. So we've talked about mobile devices and IoT. What about servers? Are they coming after that market?
1: I don't think you'd see it as primary operating system. I think you'd see it as secondary operating system. So like BMCs and, and, embed, and other embedded operating systems that exist in a server platform. Like most people don't realize this, but your average server hardware platform has like three operating systems on them. And at least one of them is not maintained well. Probably all of them aren't.
2: See, I could see it being useful for very purpose-built hardware. I could see it being useful in the switch capacity. If you've got a switch that you need an OS that's very specific, it does packet switching, and that's it well, a bit more complex stuff these days in the higher end ones. But I think that Fuchsia could probably fit quite well there because it's compartmentalized. It's got that concept of a micro kernel rather than a monolithic kernel, which we haven't really talked so much, but it's it comes from, um, it was little kernel, wasn't it? Little kernel is the like basis for uh, Zircon, uh, as is now. That lends itself to really purpose-made hardware in a data center Space And I don't think that's servers, unless you're talking about something which is then acting as a base to run containers on top of, different microservices on top of. But that's a stretch, especially a stretch at this point.
1: You might see unikernel services built on Zircon. That might actually be a thing. Because as a microkernel architecture, it's much easier to build privileged user space applications that would then be bundled in with the Zircon kernel to run as like a basically a one-process application with a little bit more safety. That might happen. But again, that goes—that speaks to more embedded-y type things.
2: I think Google might do it. If that's ever going to hit the server space, I think Google would be the first ones to go, and by the way, we've been running this entire data center on Fuchsia for the last six months and nobody noticed. Yay!
1: Well, Google does build their own hardware now, even for Google Cloud Platform. But the biggest challenge for doing that, again, is... Using Fuchsia as the the primary operating system platform means that you are foregoing a Linux ecosystem. And that may not be as valuable in the server space.
0: All right, so in 20 years then, are we still going to be using Linux? Or will Fuchsia have taken over? I
2: don't
1: know if either will be still
2: used. I think we're still going to be using Linux, but I think that's entirely because of the GPL and the fact that the alternatives are MIT BSD licensed. I think where Fuchsia falls down, in my mind, is the fact that it's not a GPL solution, meaning that you could see a Sony Orbis OS sort of situation where somebody takes it and it becomes quite dominant, maybe in a games console, but none of that then gets pushed back upstream as something to make Fuchsia better. Linux always has that advantage. At least I hope Linux always has that advantage.
1: Linux has an advantage that people underestimate. And that is that as a copylefted project, people who are not professionals feel that it is worth their time to be part of that project because their efforts do make it in, do stay around, and do make it better. And everyone is on the same playing field. It's a level playing field. When it comes to permissively licensed projects, that's not true.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Right, well, thank you very much for joining me, chaps. So Adam, I know you're very difficult to find online, but Neil, if people want to find you, where's the best place?
1: So the best place is probably either Twitter, where I'm uh, dt underscore Conan with c underscore Kudo with a K, or you can find me on uh, Matrix. I am Conan underscore Kudo, colon Matrix.org. And I'm either Conan Kudo or DT underscore Conan Kudo in other places. I usually have a consistent whatevers.
0: All right. Well, I'll stick a link as usual in the show notes to your Twitter, and then hopefully people can find uh, the rest of the places from there. Sounds good. Right. Well, speak to you again at some point then, chaps. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Thank you for having me.